Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us. And may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. Last week, we in the series, well, not last week, we in the series about what do we learn from history. And, and last week, Wayne did a tremendous job when he reminded us how a Roman centurion, a Jewish fisherman, come together through the intervention of God. I mean, two different cultures, different races, different statuses, different values. People se- separated on just about every marker of society, and they come together because of Jesus. And what do we learn from church history? What God calls clean, don't you dare call unclean. So what else can we learn from church history as we come to part two in this series about who God is, who we are, and who your neighbor is. But before I get into the subject this morning, I want to just uh, kind of take a minute to share with you a little bit about a thing called status. So a few years ago, I read this book, Your Brain at Work, by a guy by the name of David Rock. And one chapter is entirely dedicated to the idea of status. Rock states that our brain circuitry has two primary responses when we're speaking about status, a reward circuitry or a threat circuitry. The perceived kind of experience we have when when we feel like our status is improving, our circuitry goes up and we feel better about ourselves. When we have a, a drop in status, we feel like there's a threat circuitry, where our threat circuitry begins to kick into place. And you, and you just feel like down on yourself. It's like if you're going to go speak to your boss, you've got this whole message in your mind. You're going to tell your boss why you should give him an increase and all this kind of stuff. And you walk into an office and immediately you feel intimidated. And you feel threatened by her. And this threat circuitry just kicks into gear. And you, you sit there like a, a little rabbit caught in the, hair, in the headlights. I was going to say the headlights. A hair caught in the headlights. Could get confused in this whole thing. Anyway, so Rock says that there's the infinite ways, the way in which uh, the whole idea of status affects us. One person may think something's important, while somebody thinks it's not important at all. So, but the big point is this. A lot of attention is given by people to the protection and to the building of their status. I want to show you this picture. So this picture is a guy by the name of, how many of you know who this is? 
This is Kelly Slater. Now you say, well, who's Kelly Slater? Now, if you're a surfer, you know exactly who Kelly Slater is. Kelly Slater is the king of surfing. He's, an, he's won 11 world titles in, in the World Surfing League. Now, I could have gone into any magazine anywhere and got a double-page spread of who Kelly Slater is and stuck it up on my wall. But I took this picture myself. What's the difference? The difference is that for me, Kelly Slater is somebody that when I see him and then I see him in person, I actually watch him surf. My reward status, my response to that just shoots up. I just feel awesome. You may feel really, who cares? That's how the difference of status works. I remember my very first uh, credit card. It was a green credit card. And in the early days of Grace, I was going to the, the hypermarket and I you know, put my credit card through and it, and it bounced. I mean, have you ever had that happen to you? It's like super embarrassing. Listen, my credit limit was two and a half thousand rand, which, you know, it's not a lot of money, but I was beyond my credit. So, you know, we have this idea of the credit card and the status and, and all this type of thing, but some people now are on platinum credit card. The difference between credit, a green credit card and a platinum credit card is that the green card, you've got to go to the bank to fetch. The platinum card, they deliver it to you. I mean, imagine that you're sitting in your office and some oak rocks up in a suit and a tie and he gives you this beautiful credit card in a box. Listen, you're going to pay massive fees, but no, we won't talk about that. But nevertheless, hey, you, you see what Discovery have done? Look, this is what Discovery have done with their credit cards. They've gone from landscape to portrait. I mean, how cool is that? I reckon that Jekyll Wayne's smiling at me because he's on Discovery and I can see just his status, his, his, his reward circuitry is just kicking into gear. He says, I'm better than all the other blokes with their, you know, other kind of credit cards. Anyway, so did you know, and so you say, Mark, what has this got to do with church history and with the subject today? Well, I want to say today that there's a subculture of status in Christianity. I call it gold status Christianity. What does it look like? Well, you know, we have celebrity pastors today. Pastors who have entourages. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between the hipster uh, coffee barista and the pastor. They look the same, man. Got the beard, the checked shirt, the smart pants, the colorful shoes. Hey, these guys are important. And if they know me and they greet me and they actually know my name, my reward status just shoots up. If they ignore me, I just feel intimidated. When people go to conferences, there's a whole status thing there. Like, hey, have you attended a Hillsong conference? Yeah, I mean, I've been out of Cape Town, went to the Hillsong. No, 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 not Cape Town. Sydney. Have you been to Sydney? Man, you've been to the Sydney Hillsong conference, reward status up. Or gone to Bethel. Where's, where's Bethel? Paul, where's Bethel? It's in Bethel, <laughs> somewhere in California. The Global Leadership Summit in Chicago, I've been there like more times than anybody. So then there's another level of gold status, what I call personal holiness gold status. We love to do this as Christians. How much of the Bible do you know? You hear some guys say, you know, godliness is next to cleanliness. Hey, that's not in the Bible. But I tell you what is in the Bible. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, and if you can memorize scripture, your reward circuitry, your status just goes up. And people say, well, I don't really know the Bible. But somewhere in the Bible, it says, and you sit there and you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say what they are about to say. Another way we see this personal holiness, gold status thing about, about prayer. 
Some people just say, you know, I, I can't pray. You know, my, my prayers, other guys, I mean, other guys, they get a, a prayer voice. Dear God, I just want to tell you today how much I love you. And then they tell God what God knows. God, as you know, you know, in your scripture it says, and they go on and, and, and you know, the rest of us, you know, our kind of response is just like, I can't pray like he can pray or like she can pray. How about fasting? How about fasting? Some people, you know, I fast. I fast like three days a week. Yeah, but do you do a straight water fast or do you fast with teas and coffees as well? See what we're doing here? We're raising the, the circuitry. The prayer thing is going up and down. Do you tithe on your gross or your net? Do you tithe on your bonus? Do you tithe on your car allowance? See, these are all the things that kind of create a, a sense of personal holiness. And we, and we grade each other. We rate each other on the status process. Do you speak in tongues? Here's one. You must take your, 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 your sick people to this guy because when she prays or he prays, they get healed. It's the gold standard of Christianity. So what is it? So too often, the subculture of Christianity not only makes a lot of people feel less than or condemned, but it divides people into two categories, insiders and outsiders. And the consequences are that we have created barriers for people to be included. Instead of being radically inclusive, we have the subtle exclusivity where people have this away response or they, they feel worse. They have this threat response to their lives. Now, you would think that after Peter's encounter with the centurion, that the church, the early church would have got the message, but not true. Earlier on in the bumper, you would have seen that the statement that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Well, originally that comes from a guy by the name of George Hegel, a German philosopher. A friend of mine, well, not really a friend of mine, a very, very distant acquaintance, a person I know and I've met and, and have received some ministry from him, a great Methodist preacher, Wayne, by the name of Trevor Hudson. I first heard him say this, the only time we learn from history or the past is when we reflect on history or the past. Just think about that for a moment. We know that we don't learn from the past, but if we will take a moment to reflect, to pause, and to think about what happened in the past, and what is the likelihood of us doing that same thing again. So today I want to reflect a little bit on how we deal with issues of what I call private perfection, or seeking the gold standard of Christianity. Are we going to differentiate? Are there good Christians? and bad Christians. So after Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, a Pharisee, a religious fanatic, becomes Paul, he becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And him, him and a guy by the name of um, Barnabas, they're in this church in Antioch, which is a church made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And a super crisis hits this church. In Acts chapter 15, we read the story. It says, while Paul and Barnabas where at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Now listen, I'm just going to pause there for a moment. I've been in theological debates. I've been in debates and, and theological experiences where we argue vehemently. I mean, people get ramped up, they stand up, they raise their voices and all this kind of stuff. But this was an issue that Paul and Barnabas were going to absolutely hammer home. Do you have to be circumcised, according to the law of Moses, to be truly saved? 
So the church, finally the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. I can't stress enough how a point of division this was within the context of the church. There was a gold standard, according to these men from Judea, which is from Jerusalem, that, there's, that the Gentiles, if they're going to become fully Christian, they need to be circumcised. And we read a verse, just a couple of verses in the Bible, and it doesn't really give insight to the level of disagreement, but this was vehement disagreement. I mean, these guys got superheated, so much so that a delegation was put together to go to Jerusalem to have the big dogs, to have the main manner sort this thing out. So they get to the Jerusalem council, the highest authority, and we pick up the story in verse 6 of Acts chapter 15. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve the issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Now, last night I was on a small group, a Zoom small group with a few people. And one of them is, is Skip Collins, who used to be one of our pastors here. And Skip did some chronological studies. This was, I think, I think Skip said six or nine years after what uh, Wayne preached about last, last, last Sunday, about the incident between Cornelius the centurion and, and Peter. This is nine years later, and Peter gets up and he says, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to, to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear God, the good news, and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. He made no distinction between us and them. For he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we're all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting because this thing of circumcision, and it's not a thing for us today, which is a relief for many of men believers. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but this thing becomes an issue because Paul addresses it to the Galatian believers. And Peter, under peer pressure, reverts back to his, his alignment to the Jewish Christians. And then Peter calls him out in the book of Galatians. And it becomes an issue. But nevertheless... In this particular incident, I remind you of what it says, what Peter says. So why are you not challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? See, what has happened is that there's a yoke. There's, it's harder to come to faith. Finally, Jesus, our big upon James, the brother of Jesus, and the main bishop or the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he summarizes this discussion and reflects, and, and, and interestingly enough, he reflects on history himself. Now, it's interesting that if you look at the, you read the whole of Acts 15, it would feel as if this debate went on for a really long time. And they kind of trying to fix and resolve this issue of circumcision. Do you need something more than faith in Jesus to be a Christian? What is the barrier to becoming a follower of Christ? So James gets up and he brings resolution. He says this, when they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God visited the Gentiles to take 
from them a people for himself. And this conversation of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. So James is now making reference to something that had been written hundreds of years before. He too is now reflecting on history. As it is written, it's quoting now, I think from the book of Micah. Afterwards, I'll return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. So that the list, so beg your pardon, the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those who have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He made these things known so long ago. God's plan for humanity has always been radically inclusive. So James now brings the official ruling on this issue, making the opportunity for Christians to have access to God and not to be more like the Jewish version of Christianity. He says, as I repeat again in verse 19, he says, And so my judgment is that we should not make, a, make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, I was going to stop there. But unfortunately, if I'm going to be consistent with reading the word, I've got to read verse 20 and 21 as well. Because James makes another declaration within the context of this, and it has to do with Jewish traditions and, 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 and where the churches met in synagogues. So this is what James adds to what he's already said. He said, instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For those laws, these laws of Moses, have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. At first, this really puzzled me. It kind of threw me off about this idea that he says, let's not make it hard for them. Everybody can come to faith. This thing is radically inclusive. And then he says, oh, and by the way, you know what's been going on in the churches for, for generations? Is that we, we shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols and we should abstain from sexual immorality. And, and then I saw, I think, the wisdom in what is going on here. See, what he was doing, what James was doing, he wasn't creating a barrier to faith in Jesus, but it was an, an appeal to respect the Jewish heritage and the Jewish culture. Because this is how it worked. That for the most part, the early church began, they had a lot of their gatherings in synagogues. See, the Jewish Sabbath starts on Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. And the Jews would gather for their particular ceremonies and their, and their expression of faith on a Saturday. And the Christians traditionally would use the synagogue to gather on the first day of the week, as, we, as is our custom, which is the Sunday. And so realizing, James realizing that Christians from Gentile and from Jewish backgrounds were gathering in synagogues, he wanted them to at least respect the culture of the people with whom, of, of, of the building that they're using, the facility they're using. More than that, he wanted to respect the Jewish culture and traditions that aren't inhibiting, but the fact of the matter is that there's a cultural separation. And his invitation, James's invitation, is to respect the differences when we start bringing the different cultures, Jews and Gentiles, together. So what do we learn about the gold standard of Christianity? Well, the first thing we learn as I read these scriptures, and, and, I've, and I've had the joy of wrestling with this, this chapter for a while now. The first thing we learn is that, come as you are. Christianity is radically inclusive. There's no in-group or out-group. There's no, 
There's, no, there's, there's only gold status. There's no silver status. There's no platinum status. There's no green status. We just, there's, there's, one, there's one platform before God. It's not about circumcision. In other words, you don't have to make it hard for people to come. The second thing that I learned from this is that salvation is through grace. Our hearts are cleansed through faith in Jesus. That's the issue. That's the, the point of difference. And the third thing, interestingly, that I learned as I was going through this chapter was, is a mutual respect for differences. You see, in society today, it's so easy to gather in our homogenous groups, whether it's on the basis of race or it's the basis of religion or it's the basis of culture. But when we come to the church, when we come to faith in Jesus, it's inevitable people from all backgrounds are going to gather. And we're not there to dismiss somebody's culture or somebody's point of reference. We're there to respect it and make allowance for it. And you can read further in, in the book of Romans. Paul talks about this stuff. So my question to, to, to you today is, what does this mean to you? So maybe, maybe you feel like the outsider. Maybe you feel like you're not gold status. You may be silver status or maybe you don't even have a status when it comes to faith. Perhaps you have been shamed in a, in a church experience or in a, in, in a Christian encounter. Maybe I remember a, a guy came to me after a service one Sunday and said, you know the guy sitting in the third row from the front, he pointed to this person and he said, that guy smokes. And I said, and so? Because we have ashtrays outside of our buildings for people. Well, he said, you've got to tell him he can't smoke if he wants to be a Christian. And then I said, well, I'm not going to do that. And then he said to me, well, this church will be gone in four months. Then I hit him. No, no, no. I just thought of it. I never actually did it. I wanted to. You see, what it is, is a point of separation. For this man, it wasn't circumcision, it was smoking. But maybe something more radical has happened to you. Perhaps you've been through divorce. Perhaps something else has taken place in your life that has alienated you. And you feel terrible. You feel like the outsider. You may have been shamed. Well, let me tell you today, you're welcome. Come as you are. That's the message. That's what we learn from history today. Maybe, and this will be really very, you don't have to be super humble to, to, to respond to this. But maybe you like the people from Judea. You expect certain Christians to perform to a certain standard. And for you, these could be deal breakers. You believe that you have the gold standard of faith. And what you've done is you've created barriers for yourself and for others to come to faith. You're always comparing yourself to other Christians. Hey, I want to say today, just release yourself. Just move on. You can take a break. The person that you have possibly excluded, Jesus includes. And then finally today, perhaps you have never actually allowed Jesus to cleanse your heart through putting your faith in him. Perhaps you're sitting there in your lounge, or a friend of mine recently was watching our service online next to a river. Wherever you find yourself today, perhaps you want to pray this simple prayer. Today, Jesus, I ask you to come in and cleanse my heart. Maybe that's all you need to do today. I'd love to, if you are willing to pray that prayer, or if you feel bold enough, maybe you want to let your online host know that you can give them a thumbs up maybe in the, in the comments column here today. Today, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. So I was thinking about how I'm going to wrap this message up today.
And uh, you know that a few weeks ago we did this series called Losing Your Lockdown Flab and we did an acronym for Flab. Well, I thought I would share another acronym. And this is super cheesy, I know. But you know what? When you're having fun with this stuff, you've got to keep going. Okay. And I thought to myself, what is the gold standard of Christianity? And I want to use the word gold as the acronym. Right. Ready? G. So why don't you tell your online host what you think I'm going to say with G? Yeah, you're right. God loves you. That's it. <laughs> Come as you are. I mean, really, folks, I wish we could say something more profound that we would have a better message or a, or a message that would just knock you over than the message that God loves you and you can come as you are. That is the message. There's no better message. That is the ultimate message. That is the gold standard of messages that God loves you and you can come as you are. O, G-O, what is the O for? What are you thinking now? Okay, you can write on your host there, tell him you were overcoming. Uh, what is it? Well, it's obstacle. I know you wouldn't have got that. The nice thing about acronym, you can basically do anything you want to with it. But for me, I, it comes into what we've been talking about. Don't allow yourself or others to put obstacles in your way, no matter how religious they may sound. Don't let anybody determine your faith. You see what happens so often, I meet people, they say, you know, Mark, you know, I know Christians. I'm better than Christians. There's that status thing. There's that rating thing. And they say, you know, I, I want to be a, follow Jesus or I don't want to go to church because that guy, he, he's a hypocrite and he took me for a ride. And I want to say to you, if that's your story, then that person controls your life. They are the obstacle. Don't let the, their behavior determine your faith. So remove the obstacles from your life. L. What's the L for? Let your online host know. Probably you're probably writing it love. It's got to be love, right? This is Christianity. Well, surprise, surprise, it's not. <laughs> like I say, I'm taking some more license. I'm using the word leave. Leave the I'm not enough stuff behind. I'm not enough as a person. I'm not enough as a mom. I'm not enough as a dad. I'm not enough as an employee. I'm not enough as a person. I'm not enough as a Christian. Goes a little bit with the obstacle things. These are the obstacles that stop you from being loved. Just leave that stuff behind. And then D, no, it's not devil. Okay. <laughs> It's do the next right thing. I remember when I heard Skip first use those words. You know, it, it really was so liberating for me because so often as I look at this COVID thing and I look at when is lockdown going to end and I, and I wonder what God's purposes and plans for my life are and it really becomes quite a challenge. But what I've discovered, if I could just do the next right thing, when I go in and order a cup of coffee, I make eye contact with the person behind the counter and I greet them. When I honor and respect the people that I share the roads with and all that kind of stuff, what happens is your conscience becomes alive inside of you because that's the primary voice of God in your heart. And you become a doer of right things, not as, a, as an attempt to gain status, to be a better Christian, but simply in responding, as the Bible would say, to a good conscience, to do the right thing. So as we wrap up, I'd love you to uh, respond by just making a comment to the online host and, uh, and to say to you, God bless you. you know, it, it, it really, I've really been excited to share this message with you because the gold standard of Christianity, there is only one status of Christianity. There is only one status. It's radical inclusivity. It's come as you are. God bless you. Thanks for being with me today. I hope that you have a tremendous day. I'm now going to hand you back to uh, Paul and KG, and they're just going to wrap things up for us today.
God bless you. Have a fantastic day.